Hello, everyone, and welcome to our year-end wrap-up holiday extravaganza at Vodka O'Clock. And um, just to remind you, because you haven't heard me say it enough, my first two mystery novels are out, and you can get them at places like Amazon and Barnes & Noble. So the Farrah Weathers Mysteries are available in paperback and digital, um, Kindle specifically, and Full Body Manslaughter is free on Kindle Unlimited for a uh, designated amount of time. So who knows, when you go to listen to this episode, maybe it will um, not be free, but just letting you know it is. And episodes of Vodka O'Clock are on iTunes and Stitchers, but if you're looking for some older shows, you can probably only get them at my website, amberunmasked.com, and there is a podcast link in the tag, uh, tag cloud thing, so just look for that. Otherwise, you can support the show at patreon.com slash amberunmasked. So now to wrap up the year, my uh, part-time uh, podcast partner here, Josh Smith, <laughs> is back. Hello. Hello. Thank goodness you're back, <laughs> and thank you for, for thank goodness we're both still here. Yeah, we. Uh, it was touch and go. It was touch and go. But uh, you know, and thank you, thank the cat for you know giving you some free time. <laughs> yes. um, mine is not here. I don't know where he is. I'm gonna eat some chocolate while we're talking. That sounds good. I'm all about the chocolate. So we're going to talk about our favorite things, besides chocolate and cats. Yes, because this year has been, in so many ways, nightmarish. Yes, I tried to come up with a um, description worthy of Chuck Wendig to describe how awful this year has been. <laughs> so I was like, um, like, it has been a black hole of awfulness, leaving some of us feeling like oozing boils on the ass of a cave troll. <laughs> and, and and I would also like to mention that uh, Merriam Webster, which is an amazing oh, yes. Twitter account, tweeted today that, that surreal is one of the most common looks up lookups following a tragedy. Surreal is our 2016 word of the year. And and I also love their shade about that unprecedented <laughs> is not a word; it's unprecedented. <laughs> And now everybody's using it basically as like a meme. Yes. Unprecedented. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, Miriam Webster is a good account to follow. They'd probably be my, I don't know, I guess they might be my, my favorite humorous Twitter account of the year. Quite well. They're definitely up there. Yeah. But, you know, but speaking of Chuck Wendig, I, you know, always one of my favorite Twitter accounts to follow. Oh, God, absolutely. Um and and in fact, in terms of like a positive note, his blog post this morning about I didn't read this morning. So um, I, to sum up, basically, um, it's good to be angry. It's useful to be afraid, but only if there's also hope, and you're going to act on your anger and fear to make things better, rather than just giving up in despair. And that we have to have hope. And um, that's I'm all about the hope. Um, well, yeah, it was. Um, when was it? Just a couple. It was the the 13th of December. I actually quoted his post in one of my posts. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, that's right. Where I, I thought, yes. Um, where I was talking about just how bad the, you know, my, my crisis had gotten. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he, his post was titled, How to Create Art and Make Cool Stuff in a Time of Trouble. And it was posted December 13th. And, you know, he had tips in there like, yes, it's okay to stop and to take a break. But it's only a break. Do not stop making yes. your thing. Yeah. And because the first time I had I read it, I read it wrong, and I'm like, oh, it's okay to just stop. Okay, good. You know, not like I need the validation, but for whatever reason, that feels better when you're not thinking. Right. <laughs> and then I, you know, I was rereading through the list, and I'm like, I'm like, wait, that doesn't. I'm like, that doesn't sound like him. And I and I had read it wrong, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, it's okay to take a break, but don't stop. Right. Well, and even before the election, um, John John Scalzi had a blog post about how his writing productivity this year, especially like in the months leading up to the election, had dropped significantly, and that a typical day would be he'd fire up the you know get online, get ready to write. Let me check some, you know, news sites and social media and get so incensed and drawn into stupid arguments and whatever mm-hmm. that any writing that he had planned to do was gone. And then he was at a conference and a couple of other writers said, oh, my God, me, too. And then um, an editor, I think, said um, or someone in publishing said, every writer I work with is late on turning in what they've been working on. This is like this year, yeah. like specifically yep. this year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, speaking of productivity, um, I had mentioned this before in, uh, talking about national novel writing month, um, somebody, and I don't remember who had made this really cool spreadsheet where you could enter not only your word count, which is what you do on the official, uh, website mm-hmm. for NaNoWriMo, but other than just entering your daily word count, you can enter how many hours and then it tells you, you know, like your words per hour and it gives you a gauge of your productivity. Oh. And it, you know, no surprise at all. I had a couple zero word count days and, um, you know, then I don't even remember what I, I think on election day itself, I was sort of up and down. Like I had a few hours where I was still trying to be hopeful. Right. You know, and and it didn't really come crushing down on me until later in the evening. So um, that next day, I was a zero day. I didn't get out of bed. Um, but this spreadsheet that, you know, that this person made was really helpful because you can see that the the early parts of the project those you know everybody goes through like usually like start off really really strong and then you get into the middle and you slump and then at the end you pick up a bit so that's basically you know like my own little proof of that is you know that I had that the middle of my month was pretty tragic and sucking word count wise yeah you know but but hey then I had you know like I said I finished, and I did have a few really killer days that were um, over 2,000 words. That's so, so Yeah, I I will be honest. Um, I started, I was really fired up, and in fact, um, I think, like, I started writing at midnight mm-hmm. on November 1st, 
um, which normally, like, I'd have to work the next day, and I'm like, I should probably go to bed. But I was like, no, I'm going to start writing. And I got, um, like... Hi, Ollie. My, oh, hey, Ollie. I got my, you know, one day's word count in before I even went to bed <laughs> that night. Yeah. And I was, I was really in it. And then the election hit, and I could not get back. I was yeah. just... Um, and you have a full-time job. I, yeah. I always, I always add, you know, that caveat to remind people that don't beat yourself up if you didn't finish the fifty thousand words because you know your circumstances are probably very different than mine. Yes, you know? I do have a full-time job, and so that was, and and it's a full-time job with librarians who are often very liberal politically. <laughs> and so oh. like the morning after the election was like working at a funeral. Um, oh, well, I can imagine. And, and so I think that that probably was part of it. Um, See, that's, yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know what it's like because the people that I was around, the people that I'm, I mean, I'm not around that many humans. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> It, they they weren't um, they aren't like me. Mm-hmm. Um, so my only support that where I felt other people specifically like me is online. And um, yeah, I mean obviously that's a very lonely feeling. Right. But you know I don't mind being alone at certain times and in fact I crave it at certain times mm-hmm. um, but it was I mean I you know like I said there were people around and making sure that I ate and functioned you know right. functioned at basic human level which was about all I could do <laughs> yeah um, you know and I know there were a lot of people saying that and that's what's it was interesting is seeing how many people are so honest now about, uh, you know, about their experiences like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And in fact, I, I think I've even seen more, like I think, I mean, this year, more celebrities coming out, um, talking about their experiences with mental health issues um, and, uh stuff like that. It's just, it's, it's really heartening. Well, it's such a broad field. I mean, you know, and that's one of those things where it's, you can, you can try to diagnose narcissism and that's technically a mental illness. I mean, you know, it's, it's unfortunately a really broad thing to, to get into, but, and, and and that's, that's actually an issue that I've had with people getting upset at, you know, can we please not characterize Trump as as crazy as mental illness because I have a mental illness and I'm not like that. And I come to go, well, you know, mental illness is really broad. And yeah. when you're talking about personality disorders, that's a different thing than when you're talking about stuff like depression and anxiety and exactly. OCD. I, I have no doubt he's a sociopath, like none whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I'm not a doctor. I don't need to be a doctor to figure that right. one out. Like, I just believe he is. Yeah. Um, you know, and I realize that the there's a psychopath checklist, which is a different condition. Right. Um, yeah, I'm pre- like, I mean, from what I 
but he seems uh, to have no remorse about anything he, and he just lies and be- lies and lies he, and lies so i think he pretty clearly like if you look at the um the the i guess the checklist for narcissistic personality disorder he lines up spot on uh, yeah and and uh, many people of power do you know the yeah. CEOs and you know people of great wealth in particular people with great power um they do. And it's funny because these are the things that we write about with comics and we see them in cartoons and stuff. And we're like, you know, we think of them as caricatures. And now it's like, but you know what? There are people that exist that are worse than what, like, worse than Disney villains. Right. Like, you know. I mean, my biggest <laughs> complaint about Trump is if you if you wrote a comic book where the bad guy was um, a narcissistic billionaire um, with political aspirations and he was as coarse and outwardly bigoted and misogynist and um, as as just you know boorish as Trump. No one would buy it as a character. Exactly. Like, like Lex Luthor has more depth. Right. Exactly. Lex Luthor is classy. Like at least. Yeah. You know, say what you want about Luthor, but at least he has class. And say what you want about like, um, you know, any like of the other, you know. Like all, all I think about is like the Joker. I'm like the Joker is literally a character with no remorse. Right. And no, you know, no concept of consequences. Right. And he's even somewhat class. I mean, he'd be terrifying to be around because you wouldn't know if he's going to kill you or not. But he's, he, I think he has more class than we've seen from Trump. Like, yeah. Trump is sort of like Two-Face, but just one side of Two-Face. Like, just the yeah. shard side shallow. of Two-Face. Yeah, just the shallow part. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's just it. I mean... The Joker for, you know, as oversaturated as we are with with Joker stories, um, at least he takes responsibility. Like when (laughs) when shit gets, you know, down to it, he's like, well, I guess I killed that person. He's not going to issue a press release saying, uh, you know, (laughs) that he didn't do it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Um, so I, I I did see that people were were being um, were feeling slight, slighted or offended by the fact that others were talking about you know oh stop calling this a white dystopian novel and stop calling this you know whatever a comic book villain and it's like we're not making light of it. We're just proving that the worst things we could think of fictionally have been outdone. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, really. I mean, it's sort of like the, the onion stopped being funny this year Mm -hmm. and just started being too real. (laughs) Um, and, and you'd see, you know, when comedians are retweeting headlines and saying, I don't even know how to make a joke about this. Um, or the jokes write themselves, then, I mean, it's pretty. And, and uh, I mean, that's a big reason why I went, fell back to one of my comfort shows that you also love and started rewatching Leverage 
I yes, feel I've, I've been watching it today. In fact, it's it's more relevant <laughs> than ever. Exactly, more than ever, because um, if you haven't watched Leverage, it's a very Robin Hood esque type of uh, mission. You know, and, they're thieves. Yeah. They're, they're bad guys doing good. You know, they're thieves, but they are stealing from like they're they're doing everything to help their clients and you know like somebody raided the pension fund well how can we get this back something like that it's it's very it's very golden age of comics kind of superhero stuff um yeah you know back when superman and the and the flash and and green lantern were fighting corrupt businessmen and um you know people who who uh I think there's a there's a flash story from the golden age where um, the, the the bad guy the conflict all revolves around a guy embezzling money from like he's based he's building public schools out of shoddy materials and the moral of the story is like don't try to like ruin public education for kids um, yeah. or or a Green Lantern story where the guy is like holding back on pneumonia vac- vaccine. Um, because he wants to make money off of it, and then his son comes down with pneumonia and might die. And please, Green Lantern, save my son! Uh, and it's so that's totally what leverage is. Leverage is all about corrupt politicians and corrupt businessmen and insurance companies. And insurance like one companies, of their right. one of their big bads is the insurance company. Who, Those are some of the best episodes. Threw over the you know trample on little people um, yeah. and. And a lot of it was based on real incidents, and they often had to tone it down because nobody would believe. I mean, it's kind of like what we were saying about Trump. Nobody would believe what really happened was so horrible that nobody would believe it. So they had to tone it down to make it more believable for television. It's fantastic. It's definitely one of my favorite go-to shows. It's a good comfort show. And and I've decided that if I ever had, if I had superpowers and I had friends who had superpowers, I don't think we'd be the Justice League. We'd be like Leverage. Yes. Yeah. I I think about, you know, our Leverage team often. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what skills I bring to the table, but, you know, it's a... Yeah, if anything, I'd probably be a grifter. That's, yeah, that's probably... But that's only because I've done some acting in the past. Yeah. I'm good at coming up with ridiculous aliases and backstories. There you you go. So I I think I'm okay with that. I would, you know, and I've also been rewatching White Collar like crazy. Like, I've had White Collar on a lot. Um which, you know, again, you see a lot of the thief perspective. And Neil Caffrey is a character who steals things um, for the challenge of it, Mm -hmm. but he, you know, but it's also particular. I mean, he could probably steal just about anything he wanted, but he's, uh, you know, an art lover. So he specifically would, uh, got into forgery and um, his, you know, his own personal artwork, he says he never had a style because he spent his whole life forging other people's art. Um, and, you know, when you, when you think about about forgery, like bond forgery, um, you might not look at a piece of paper and think that it's art, 
but you know, it's like commercial art. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're like, somebody made that logo. Yeah. Somebody, somebody made that page layout. So, um, you know, there's him and his sidekick, Mozzie, they kind of, they they try to get their big score to have just enough to retire. And, you know, like all good thieves, they right. think at some point they're going to get out of the game. Right. But if you're in the game because it's your skill set or it's what you, and or what you love doing, then you're not going to get out. I mean, that's like a writer saying they're going to retire. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, pardon me while I take a moment to throw crumpled post-its to the cat. <laughs> there you go. Um, okay, so so what... Uh, okay, I, I noticed on the list of stuff that you had of Best of, um, Supergirl was on there. Yeah. Yes, Supergirls. Um, it's interesting because it's a show. I know that you love it too. It's a show that I don't think about. Like, oh, I miss it. Oh, I have to go back and watch it. But every time I do, because it's like a, a family thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so every time I I do, I enjoy the episodes. Okay. So yeah. it's a you know it's a strange thing where I'm not like, oh my god, I can't wait. You know, there's a new episode out. Not like Lucifer. Like Lucifer, I'm like, oh, when's the next Lucifer coming out? <laughs> Whereas, like, for me, I think basically, like, the CW superhero shows are about the, just about the only thing that's running right now that I get really excited about. Oh, my God, new episode coming on. Um, and besides, I mean, there, are, there are some other networks. Like, I'm still watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, there are some other... So you're the one. I'm the one, yes. I'm keeping <laughs> Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on TV. You're welcome, um, <laughs> you other people who are still watching it, which apparently are not the higher-ups at Marvel, because <laughs> yeah. they seem to not know what's going on in the show um, or care, but I, I, I am. Um, and and uh, CW superhero shows are... are yeah, I'm behind are, on them. Um, like I don't, I, I don't know why, but I just never really liked the Flash. But um, even though I like that actor, he's very good in the role. But Arrow, I was watching on Netflix, mm-hmm. so I'm behind on Arrow. And the crossover thing was a total waste. I don't know if, if on, on Supergirl it was literally like. Oh two- well, and and see, here's the okay. So for me, the Invasion crossover was one of the high points of this year. Um, and the only thing I would have done different is I would have not resolved the plot lines. Like the, the, the one problem that I had with, with the mid season closer for, for Supergirl was that it resolved everything super quickly so that she could then go over to the other earth to do the crossover and I would have instead had the episode before that end with her getting going over, and then all four episodes would be the crossover, the alien, the invasion crossover, and then you could resolve some of the other stuff next year. Mm-hmm. Like, ju- I'm not sure if it would. It, yeah, I'm not sure if it would have lost anybody. You know, I'm not that, sure what the Venn diagram is. That's that's what I I feel like it wouldn't have lost anyone because the people who are watching 
wanted wanted you know and they kept advertising of a four part crossover mm-hmm. while at the same time in interviews saying oh it's really just going to be the three episodes um and my only sort of complaint about the three episodes but was that they were kind of cramped um but otherwise because I did like the one that was just Supergirl and Flash where he came onto her show. Oh, God, that, that, that that's was, one of my happy... It was so adorable. If I'm feeling down, I go and watch that episode. Um, Kara getting ice cream at super speed, her reaction yes. is probably um, one of the... the I, I will just watch that over and over to cheer myself up. Uh, but yeah, the two of them together. I mean, the two actors have great chemistry. Right. Um, the characters just mesh really well. Um, and and that was even true for the invasion. Just, uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure that uh, Melissa Benoist is the pinnacle of cute. Oh, absolutely. She's perfect for this that, role. Um, I mean, even in Invasion, at the at the end of the the whole story, where she's finally she's not Supergirl, she's in her Cara Danvers um, outfit, and and even as she's threatening this man in black, um, she's the cutest person you've ever seen. <laughs> and and it just you know and uh the the her meeting the other characters and just beaming at them and being like so excited to team up with people um was freaking adorable. Uh, yeah, she reminded me a lot of how Christopher Reeve pulled off the Clark Kent role. Yes. Yep. It was just that you know it, She's just so believable in her her Kara role, and I want I, and I actually would it'd be interesting I think to know I don't know a lot about her in in real life. Um, I mean, I I think Christopher Reeve honestly was an incredibly nice guy from everything I've read. Mm-hmm. Like in a lot of ways, he kind of was Superman. Mm-hmm. Much in the same way they're like Chris Evans is Steve is Captain America, <laughs> and, yeah, totally. and Robert Downey Jr. is very definitely Tony Stark. Right. Um, I think Christopher Reeve really kind of was Clark Kent, um, or he really was Kal El, and he could put on Clark Kent the same like the same way that you would. It was like you believe that people would be fooled, even with someone of his physique. Um, you can watch the Superman movies and you totally buy into the fact that a pair of glasses and altering the way you act would totally fool people and that nobody yeah. would think that Clark Kent was Superman. It's funny when I, when I do watch Supergirl and I see her do the, um, the fists on her hips thing, mm-hmm. she'll actually, uh, the, the way she walks into a room like that, you can see that she's kind of doing it, um, you know, with like her, I have to be swagger now. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I love. Um, she, she, she doesn't. 
just change, like, it's not just her hair comes down out of the ponytail and the glasses come off. She changes her whole body language. Yeah. Um, and it's really awesome to watch. Um, in a similar way, I think, to one of my favorite things about Leverage is uh, Christian King's body language as Elliot. Um, oh, yeah. When he, because he does the same thing. Someone, yeah, his whole, like, just the way he stands. Um, there are times when he has to pretend to be, like, a, a nerdy accountant or something, and he puts on the glasses and, yeah. you know, pulls, pulls his hair back and stuff and puts on the tie, and it's so funny. He, he He's, like, ridiculously cute when he does that. Yeah. And then when he does the whole hitter thing, he's honestly scary. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, he I, does angry very well. Yeah. Um, and he does it in a way that I think is a realistic, it looks realistic. Like, I've seen people adopt that kind of body language. Um, and that's scarier than someone just sort of, like, martial arts stance. Mm-hmm. Um, or trying to get all up in your face. Um, there's a way, um, and actually, my dad was, was really good, having been a kid in the Bronx during the Depression, um, he knew how to change his body language in pretty subtle ways to be more threatening if someone was trying to be threatening to him. Um, and from what I've read, Jack Kirby, who grew up in Hell's Kitchen, during the, um, was the same way. Because Jack Kirby was a tiny man, but he could scare people <laughs> just by, like, looking them up and down. Um he was a scary little guy and, and it comes from having to change. And, you know, I, I'm not sure how tall Christian Kane is, but if you compared to the rest of the leverage staff, he's not super tall. He's not super tall. No. And that's why a friend of mine said that he would have preferred him as Wolverine. And I was like, Oh God, yes. You're oh, so right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or, and I don't remember his name, but the, the actor that plays, um, the 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 adult that used to bully Sean and Gus and then on side who grows up to be a jock. Oh yes. <laughs> Just watching that episode I'm like, oh my God, that guy would play Wolverine. Jimmy Nichols, yes. <laughs> so well. Cause he's he really is that height. Um and you know, nothing against um Hugh Jackman, Hugh Jackman I mean yeah. At all. Yeah he's He's obviously a super I mean, bad he's, actor. He's but. an amazing actor, and he's he's really inhabited the role in an amazing way. Um, but he's also super tall and and slim, right. as Christian Kane has that short, shorter, stockier look, um, and can his body language he gets that brawler body language um, mm-hmm. that that's what I mean. For all of Wolverines, I want to be a samurai kind of thing. Wolverine's a brawler. Oh, yeah. Well, that's... Yeah. He's a... Uh, it's always melee. Yeah. Him and Puck. If we can get, like, super into... <laughs> minor Cana- minor and major Canadian characters. At <laughs> um, but but speaking of casting and stuff, this is. Did you watch any Lucifer at all? I haven't, um, and I've heard. I've heard like I have friends who watch it who are really really into it, and it's probably something I should catch up on. 
it's I love Tom Ellis. I loved him. He was on this like not great show called Rush, but there was something about him. Like you could just tell that this guy had has the thing. Mm-hmm. That, um, and Lucifer in the comics is pale and blonde, and you know I was waiting for the. You know, people were immediately like, oh, this guy's not blonde. He looks, you know, he's got that typical devil, um, when you think of, like, sexy devil, that is. Right. Quality. He is, he's white and has the black hair. Um, and at least they, you know, they do have a diverse, reasonably diverse cast. That's why I was a little bit upset when they cast the role of his mother as Trisha Helfer. I was like, oh, geez, we need this, you know, another white blonde chick on the show. Come on. <laughs> um, but, you know, I just thought they could have chosen better for, mm-hmm. for this. But, um, but the, the Amenadiel and Lucifer, those two together are so, they're just so good. And, and speaking of, um, really good actors on questionable shows. Um, you you still consistently watch Gotham, right? I do. Okay. Yeah. Because I because I gave up on it really early. Right. <laughs> Although I remember, like, even after I stopped watching it, I would read. Um, back when I don't remember who for IO9 uh, was writing write ups every week of the episodes, I would read them just because they were so exasperated at how the show was 50% really good and 50% pardon the pun batshit crazy um, that I, I reveled in the descriptions of it. But yeah, I mean, that's a show that I just could, I mean, I, I gave up on it, but it has some really good actors in it. Yeah, it does. And they started writing or directing uh, the Bruce actor better okay. because I mean he was literally the worst part of the show, mm-hmm. and it was supposed to be his show. Right. Um. Uh. Cameron, what's her face? By Condova, who plays a uh, Selena Kyle Catwoman mm-hmm. or Cat Cat, they call it. Right. Um. She's always been fantastic. Mm-hmm. So now the two of them together um, are better. They're better. They're much better. But the Penguin and um, the Riddler have always, you know, they had Fish Mooney for the first season, right. and she was literally, like, the best thing ever. Oh, God. Um, Jada Pinkett chewing scenery was, yeah, she, oh, I, will, was, I will I will totally give her props, because she was, yeah. I'm pretty sure, like, she may have literally been channeling Eartha Kitt. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the vil- yeah. the villains obviously yeah, made the show. Right. Yeah, and better. and Robin Lord Taylor is actually one of the people I was thinking of when I said they're really good actors, aren't like really really good actors? Because I do like I think he's great. He is. Yeah. He's he's my always my favorite part of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really excited with the direction that they were taking uh, him and his character this season because they they brought Fish back momentarily and then got rid of her just like they did some weird things with um the asylum and the inmates being tested at Indian right. Hill like they introduced things like they introduced a Bruce clone just to have him in for a minute and take him out okay like he just he just ran off one day I was like okay bye um 
but the penguin is just they they keep making him like such a lovable bad guy he's like, so he's, yeah i think that i'm not sure what it is like I don't know if I could specifically put my finger on it, but there's something about the way that Robin Lord Taylor plays him that you it you you know when he's doing horrible things, um, yeah. He's he's really oddly likable. He's Very an underdog, and that's, he's always that's the thing, an like, underdog. When he slaughtered his family, like, I didn't even think about it. I was like, okay, whatever. But then, like, the Riddler, the the people who Nygma's killed, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's the character that makes a difference or what it was, mm-hmm. but for some reason, when he's murdering somebody, it feels really different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was another weird thing. Like, they brought back they, the same actress to play a new girlfriend for him, just to have her immediately taken back off the show like it was they they do make some weird ass choices right. like this poison, the ivy, poison thing. ivy thing is oh i wrote if you guys or, yeah. if you guys haven't haven't read it i i do have a you know i had a blog post about the whole poison ivy thing and why it's inappropriate um but the yes the one of the best parts about this season of gotham was when nigma interferes with the the election as cobblepot's running for mayor and the penguin tells them, you know, you have to, here's the money, go pay these people off to make sure that they win. And Edward won't do it. He says, you know, and when he, you know, he ends up winning the election anyway, he's, Penguin's like, what do you mean you, you didn't do it? He's like, I knew you could win. And it was just like this moment. It was like one of the best moments of the show. Mm. So I thought that was adorable. A lot of people are, you know, shipping them. Right. And that was that was where I guess we were all hoping it was going to go. <laughs> it was headed there. It's sort of kind of headed there. Um, but, you know, other let's see other things, because uh, I know that we're, we're going on and on and on. Um, uh, there was a new season of Grace and Frankie, and I know that that was one of yours, too. Yeah. You, you enjoyed that show. It got... Um, very different. Um, it was a lot more stressful, I think, in season oh, two. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, I mean, Grace's arc was was really almost, almost, almost difficult to watch for me. Just, I think because... It was so sad. It was. It was, um, yeah. And yet and then, the show, yeah, the show just manages to, um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it, it somehow, like, sometimes I feel like it should, the show shouldn't work, and yet it does. Mm-hmm. Again, they got, you know, these fantastic actors. I love Brianna. Oh, my God. Oh, good she Lord, yes. cracked me up. And so she had a, a bigger part this time with, uh, you know Frankie, who's not her mom, basically. You know, been like an aunt to her as as right. she grew up. But um, they have this business relationship in season two, and it's this total disaster. And you get to see these completely opposite personalities trying to get along, and 
you know, they just they just can't even make it work right. when they, you know. Yeah, there, like, were uh, some, there were some really. Um, I think there there were some stuff where I mean, like just from even season one. Um, I love Brianna, but but definitely season two just cemented her as one of my favorites. But also, um, I feel like it kind of brought Coyote and Bud out a little more. And there, yeah, some, there but, were some scenes. There's a scene of the two of them in their place just being brothers. That just was, being brothers, was yeah. so great. Um, because Bud's the responsible one, and, you know, it's like, I'm not putting up with your crap. Right. <laughs> but, 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 and yet we also got to see Bud being a little... Un, not unhinged, but not quite as as straight laced. Um, when he when he's when he's being Frankie's lawyer, um, yes, he's he's not he's, still, he's not the ace that he kind of comes off as. Uh, right, compared to right. his brother, he's the one that has right. it all together. But he's still not his dad as far as being a lawyer. Right. Um, yeah. And and the bits between uh, Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen and Sam Watterson were, um, oh man, and the, the scene, um, when, when Martin Sheen goes to the dog park, uh, yeah. and meets the other, and he meets the guy who used to be a priest, the, the other, oh, yes, the other older gay guy, and just them talking about, did, I, I feel like there's, there's been some really good, um, story arcs. Um, for for LGBTQ characters, um, the my favorite thing about Supergirl this season has been Alex's coming out, yeah, um, and just the way that they, the way that they, it wasn't just one episode of her going, oh by the way I'm gay, it was her having it pointed out to her and denying it and then realizing it, but not being able to say it out loud and then being able to say it out loud, but still not feeling comfortable with it. And it was, and what's really great about it, I think is, is um, Kyler Lee who plays Alex, who I don't know what her, the, the actor's sexuality is. I know that she's married with kids. So she at least, presents as straight, um, but is so um, not just like she's talked about how privileged she is to play the character, how, how fortunate she is to tell that story. Um, when I think MTV um, rated um, Alex and Maggie Sawyer as their number one couple, um, she tweeted the link and thanked MTV with the hashtag representation matters. Um, she really seems to understand and be behind the idea that it's 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 an important story to tell. Um, and I like the um, the woman that they paired her with, which was sort of like, are they or aren't they yeah. together? Um, was it Maggie? Yeah. Is it Maggie Sawyer? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, who I think is just Caucasian in the comics, but they got um, Latina yeah. to play her, which. And, and they don't, I mean, they didn't change the name, but she talks about being from a, 
Nebraska or some other like, you know, small Midwestern town. And I don't remember which state. Um, and she, she mentions being, um, both a lesbian and Latina and how difficult that was for her growing up. And it's just, and she kind of casually throws it in, um, Mm -hmm. which was, that was really nice too, that, you know, it's not like, Oh, we're going to, I mean, one, it's, it's nice that they're giving, that they're being diverse in their hiring. Um, but one of the things that I've also always liked about Supergirl is that, um, they've even just sort of casually touched on some issues of like race and gender that I was not expecting a, a primetime brightly colored superhero show to touch on. Um, like the episode in season one where um, they talk about how women aren't supposed to look angry. They're not supposed to let their anger come out. That was one of the best and, things about um, about the cat character. Yeah, and that James Olsen just kind of casually drops, well, it's not like black men are supposed to be angry either. And I'm like, thank you for addressing the whole, you know, the angry black man stereotype and how, you know, um, people made fun, like a lot of people made fun of Barack Obama for never appearing angry. And it's like, he couldn't. Yeah. He literally could not do that. I mean, look at like the grief that Hillary Clinton got just like, no matter what emotion she showed. If Michelle Obama, there's a picture of her not smiling, it's, oh, my God, how would he do to anger her right. in a photo? It's and, like, and are you there serious? there was no emotion that Hillary Clinton could show that wouldn't get her criticized. Yeah. She smiled too much. She didn't smile enough. Um, she was too shrill. She was, she was too emotionless. Um, and and I, there's, a, there's a line in this season where uh, John Jones says something about um, – I'm that he's not in favor of like this alien uh, equality act because he's a, he's like, it's not necessarily a good thing for aliens to be out in public because my years as both an alien and my years spent looking like a black man have taught me that Americans aren't really great with diversity. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was another, just one little line that, I think, you know, spoke on something really important. Well, yeah, Supergirl. I mean, it's not even submer- subversive when it's talking about, um, you know, the alien analogy for immigration. Right. Oh, like, no, not it's at all. Just, it's just there, and, and the, you know the it's quote there. Buffy, the subtext is rapidly becoming text. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're not subtle at all about it. But that's almost like, thank God. Like, we, there are times when we need our, our stories to not be subtle. Mm-hmm. Um. And and Supergirl, I think, has been really good about that. Um, there was some great stuff in Grace and Frankie about, um, you know, when you're older and sort of coming to terms with, um, you know, you, you growing up when you had to be closeted and suddenly being out and not being entirely comfortable being out. Right. And that's the thing, like, you know, with Grace and Frankie – it's a show about privileged white people. And yet, um, you know, they, they have a particular wealth level, you know, where they were, you know, these guys are lawyers and uh, Grace ran her own cosmetic right. 
you know, empire. And now her daughter, do, one of her daughters does. And the other daughter is married to a doctor. Um, so it's like even the Frankie's side, even though they're liberal hippy dippy types, they still have some money. Right. You know? and, they, and that's what I like about the show is that it doesn't shy away from addressing that. Like they'll go to they'll point out that Frankie gets to be like this because her husband's a lawyer who has money. Yeah, like they got their credit cards cut off. That was like in the first episode, the very first episode, right. I think. And they, you know, and he's like, well, you know, you know, her her shopping gets out of hand or something or her retail therapy, whatever it was. Right. You know, they had an argument and she spent ten thousand dollars on a yurt or something. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, well, it's in there. Yeah. But she's otherwise she's an artist and she's, you know, she's trying to teach classes <laughs> to, uh, you know, rehabilitated convicts. Right. Um, you know, so she's not really making the money that she's accustomed to having. Right. But yeah, I, it's yeah, it, it, it's a show about privileged people, but it, it really kind of addresses the privilege. Mm-hmm. Um. But also shows that, like, just because you come from, just because you have some privilege doesn't mean that, like, I mean, obviously, um, Robert and Saul have, I mean, they're privileged white guys who make good money as lawyers, but they're also gay. And they have to deal with that. Um, And, yeah, I don't Again, it's, it's, I feel like it's a show that it so many ways shouldn't work, and yet it totally, totally does. There is one point, though, when you mentioned the brothers, where um, where it really did make sense and touch on this, where it's both of the boys are adopted. So there's a, you know, a white son and a black son to a white couple. And um, Coyote is the one who's a drug addict, an alcoholic, mm-hmm. or, you know... In, who's recovering and um, you know, Bud makes some kind of comment about, uh, you know, your mother, you know, Coyote's looking for his natural mother and he's, you know, he says, you know, your mother could be a, you know, a crack whore or something. And he's just like, you know, as the one who was the addict, Coyote says, yeah, I mean, statistically (laughs) it's going to be my mother who was the crack addict, not yours. Right. And it was it was like, oh, they actually addressed that. Yep. Yep. Well, and, and even addressing the fact that his his mother um, doesn't come from the same. I mean, she's a white woman, but she doesn't come from the same wealth and privilege. Um, and yet. And and it's they do some interesting stuff where she seems to be looking down on their family because they're not Southern Christian. And right. Where she brings to be looking Jesus. down on her because she is like kind of white trash Christian. Yeah. And, they're like, what kind of Christian are you? Yeah. <laughs> the Jewish kind or whatever. And, the and, original. <laughs> and it's not, there's no like, there's not like a, a good side and a bad side of that. They're all kind of looking down on each other in some ways, but they're also, and, yeah, it it really dealt with stuff in some really really interesting. Yeah, I, it was in, it 
it was one of those things where when you when you learn quickly in the show that it's both boys that are adopted, it's you know, Bud makes a comment about how you know everybody assumed that only he was adopted. Right. Yeah. But you know, um, despite the fact that Coyote doesn't look at anything like his parents. No, of course not. Right. Um, the uh, sort of TV thing, but not really, not a TV show, was Beyonce's Lemonade. That um, I also like had times this year where I really needed to just replay that. <laughs> and you know, and it, it's like you just you feel. Again, like you feel your emotions validated, like right. it's okay to be angry right now. Yeah. Yeah, no. I suspect that there's, I mean, I, I, as much as I might say, I mean, I, I've said that, um, you know, I don't really care. There are so many past stories about white guys that I'm okay with no more new white guy stories. But I will say that um, when I need to feel empowered, I watch The Flash, um, and that I have a lot of emotional and psychological <laughs> investment in Barry Allen as a character. Um, but, you know, although I will say that Supergirl is also an empowering show for me, so maybe it, maybe the gender doesn't matter so much. Um, and in fact, well, I, was, I, love- I was thinking uh, just today, actually, um, seeing a friend of mine who was a little upset with Rogue One. I've seen so many people loving it and her, she was bothered by it because as she said, it's such a, the rebel team is such a sausage fest. And she was looking at all these other, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy and um, Force Awakens and all this and feeling like there's really only one, even if it's the lead woman, lead character, it's it's one woman. And, it, I thought that if my life were a TV show, the main character would be a white guy like me, but pretty much all the most of the supporting cast would be women, because most of my friends are women. Um, most of the time, I'm hanging out with women, so it would be like my my the light the show of my life would be Friends, but it would be Chandler and all the girls, <laughs> and that's it. Like there wouldn't be Joey and Ross wouldn't be on the show. Except like walk-ons every you know occasionally. Um, yeah, I love Miss Fisher's mysteries for this reason. Yeah. Like one of the few like really just feminist shows where again it shows her ridiculous privilege of of wealth, which um, you know they discuss the family wealth in different episodes, mm-hmm. and it came you know came because of uh, the war and stuff. Um, but she's very generous and, you know, her and Dot are just, you know, I love it because then they, they also have the, the two drivers, Bert and Seth. So, you know, in the, the butler. Yes, so Mr. Butler. Have, Mr. Butler. So you do have three men in the household and two women um, primarily. Right. But, um, and yet the, the men are totally overshadowed. The, yeah, I was gonna say the men play such you know very particularly you know particular roles. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're there to do muscle work right. for you know that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, just you know, Miss Fisher is absolutely fearless. 
she, uh, I mean, she's obviously very extravagant and wears a different outfit every day and, you know, sometimes four outfits in a day. Um, you know, she'll be in some kind of like, she wears pants a lot too. I mean, for the twenties and thirties, um, you know, it's like dot will never, I don't think dots ever put pants on except for an episode where she had to work in a factory. Um, but it's just really interesting because then, um, in just a few episodes, you see Franny's best friend character is a doctor, a woman doctor named Mac. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Mac dresses like, um, because she's a lesbian, she actually dresses specifically to be masculine. Right. You know, she wears men's pants and a waistcoat and a blazer and a hat and, um, and she, she's, you know, so the two of them walk around, you know, in pants. And it's one of those things where like, you know, but then we went through, how did we go from that to the, to women always needing to wear skirts in the fifties? Right. Like what happened? Oh, no kidding. Well, and it, one of the things that I think is interesting about, uh, Ms. Fisher is if you gender flipped the show, the Ms. Fisher's, I don't want to say promiscuity because that sounds really negative, which it shouldn't because it shouldn't, but um, she's very but she much is a, very, a, she's, she's very liberated. Non, she's very non-monogamous. <laughs> she's very non-monogamous and very, um, she knows what she wants and she's, to, she's totally okay with it. And she doesn't care if other people aren't. Um, if that character were male, it would be very different. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it would be just another detective show. It'd be right. It'd be James Bond. Yeah. And and that except that that's I think that's the key is that Bond's promiscuity is super shallow, and Miss Fisher's promiscuity is empowering. Right. Um. And and uh, and she always makes a point of talking about her connection with people. Like she's not just picking up somebody at random. Well, exactly. Like she, everybody that she chooses to be with, she, like she makes a real point of of talking about why she's you know why they were there that night. Yeah. Um. And and even addresses the fact that even if she were, that's nobody's business but hers. Mm-hmm. Like if she was picking up some dude just because. <laughs> She wanted to, you know, I need to get, I need a boning. I'm picking up this dude off the street. That's her business and nobody else's. And it's obvious, though, that the two romantic leading men, um, the two police characters, Mm -hmm. Jack and Hugh, um, they want these women to change for them. Jack would love for Franny to be monogamous and be the marrying kind. And Hugh expected Dot to give up her job right. as Miss Fisher's assistant and just stay home and have babies. And, um, you know, it's like you guys, then you're cha- you're changing the women that you right. love for reasons. You know? and, and what's really, what's what, a, one of the things I love about the show is the fact that Hugh's willing to like, that he'll he'll try to stand his ground because he thinks that that's what a man is supposed to do, but yeah. he loves Dot so much that he will give up and and be like, okay, look, I I understand, you know, I'm sorry, this is the way I was raised, but I understand that this is important to you, and I'll totally back off now. 
Yeah, um, it takes him a couple working, of weeks. Okay, right, it might take a few episodes, but he'll do it. Yeah. And the same with, I think, Jack is a much, much less emotional. <laughs> he, he's much, mm-hmm. he's much, he's a little stonier than Hugh is. Um, but it's pretty clear that, I mean, obviously he cares about Franny and he's in love with her, but he also knows that he's not going to change her. And there, there are episodes where he kind of wrestles with that, but there, but then you'll see episodes where he just, he kind of has to, he has to accept that if he's, if he's going to be in her life and if she's going to be in his life, he's not going to change her. Right. And, and again, like how do we get from that to Mad Men? I don't know, but it's really depressing. I don't, yeah, that's, I'm just astonished because I started watching Murdoch mysteries where, uh, you know, it's Victorian. So the women are in these corsets and even the, you know, the women who work, they have to wear these outfits that are so cumbersome and they can, you know, how do they move? How do they breathe sometimes? You know, like the, the doctors that are, um, you know, they're working in the Morgan stuff, the medical examiners. And it's, it, you know, it was like at one point it gets to be, you can tell that time is changing because they even show Toronto getting busier as a city and they mm-hmm. show automobiles invading and taking over and pollution being a problem and noise being a problem. And then um, there's one episode where they're on a beach and Dr. Ogden finally has enough and, you know, she's wearing this big dress thing that's a bathing suit and, you know, she finally takes off these wool socks that were expected to be worn with a bathing suit and he's just like, you're showing your your knees? And she's like, it is a hundred degrees out. <laughs> yes, I'm showing my knees. Right. And it's like, you know, and here's this very conservative man who's just like, hmm, okay, okay, you know, that's who I, that's who I chose to fall in love with, I guess. And <laughs> yes, well, you know, it's 2000, well, it's almost 2017, so I guess we've got like three years before we hit the 2020s, so let's see if we can bring back the roaring 20s. If we, yeah. Um, well. Especially in, like, the areas of... Uh, women's liberation. Um, well, it's really important in these shows. It's one of those things where, I mean, this stuff was obviously overlooked in a lot of history books, but like in Murdoch, uh, Dr. Ogden talks about why she's infertile now, and mm-hmm. it's because she once had an abortion. And Miss Fisher's Mysteries opens, um, I think it's either the first episode or the second episode, is about women getting right. these horrible, unsafe back alley abortions. Yep. And um, right now I'm reading Loving Eleanor by Susan Wittig-Alber, mm-hmm. and it's about the relationship between the AP reporter, Lorena Heck, and, um, and Eleanor Roosevelt. And the, uh-huh. the very, very secret, polyamorous, um, lesbian relationship that they had because um, Franklin Roosevelt got to have his mistress mm-hmm. in the house and she got to have her lover come and stay um, whenever she was in town. So, it, I mean, nobody's called it polyamorous in the book, right. but it certainly sounds like it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so they talk about the importance um, when the, uh, of birth control 
because it, during the depression, how the assignments that this reporter got when she stopped being an actual AP reporter and she went to work for the federal government to figure out which cities needed the most federal relief. Mm -hmm. She was meeting women who had, you know, were on like their 10th baby, you know, right. like it was just, they were just like pregnant every year and they had, you know, no money at all. Mm -hmm. So, you know, these women were, were begging for birth control and, you know, it was the 30s. Right. It's like, and why do we still have to have these arguments today? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot this year. Um, yeah. So ask me in 2020 if we're back in the 1920s, because honestly, I think we're still in the 1920s. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. Yeah, in a lot of ways. It, I mean, that's, yeah. Um. I know, like, I mean, even, like, the past few years, that sort of exasperatedly said, how are, how is this still an issue? Um, I don't understand. You know, this is the 21st century. How is this still an issue? Um, and obviously, it, this stuff still is. So yeah. we need our stories that, that highlight that and challenge that. And, um, yeah, that's why we need to keep making art. Um, in times of trouble um, to go back to Chuck's post and, and your post in reaction to that. Mm -hmm. So you can get my two novels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know the, in that uh, continuing to write is worth my time. Um yeah, so Loving Eleanor is, is basically like this incredible read. It's it's unlike books that I normally read. I mean, my other favorite book of the year I was I had started um at in December last year and didn't finish till January of this year was Young Americans by Josh Stallings. <clears throat> and so even though I've I've read a, a couple other books throughout the year, now that I you know, once I finished that Young Americans was still my favorite as far as crime fiction goes. Okay. But you had some interesting... Yeah, it's funny because I, I actually don't read a lot of nonfiction. Um, and yet, I think my two picks for books that came out this year that were my favorite were both memoirs. Um, and it was uh, Hannah Hart um, of My Drunk Kitchen and other YouTube shows. Um, her memoir, Buffering... And then Mara Wilson, who was a child actress and is now a writer, um, Where Am I Now? Um, and I, I actually, I should say, I started Mara Wilson's book and haven't finished it because every chapter, the, even, you know, our, her life and my life were very, very different in so many ways, in pretty much every way, um, but the stuff that she writes about and the way she talks about it um, really hit some um, memories and some emotions that I haven't dealt with a lot. And every time, like I, I had to stop reading the book in public because I kept crying while I was reading it um, because it was, it was moving me in some like really, really powerful ways. Um, so I, I haven't actually finished it yet. And Hannah's book, um, just I did not 
she grew up in a really, really fucked up situation. And I didn't realize that. Um, and she's, she's, I remember seeing some videos like some years ago that she had done where she sort of mentioned um, being a lesbian and coming from a re- very strongly religious background and having problems personally with dealing with her own sexuality. Um, and she really goes in depth with that in this book. Um, and that was another like really powerful sort of coming out story. Um, but, but just the fact that she's come from, um, a really messed up childhood and yet she's, and she talks very openly about her depression and anxiety and being diagnosed with ADHD. Um, but also maintaining this optimism and hope and, um, cheerful, compassionate, um, generous personality. Um, it's, and that was just a really, really, um, lovely and kind of, uh, and lovely and inspiring read. That's good. I actually haven't, um, haven't read a memoir this year, which is odd for me. Um, I think the last one I read was Felicia Day's. Which was last year. Yes, yeah, that's right. There have been some we really talk, good, um, and there are some more that I want that are on my list. A um, lot of lot of really really cool people are writing their memoirs, and I am totally okay with that. Um, in fact, actually, I also need to read um, Lisa Jacob, who what played the older sister in Mrs. Doubtfire and Mara Wilson played the younger and both of them got out of acting, I think around the same time, um, like around the same age and have now both become writers. Uh, and Lisa Jacob has a memoir as well, that I haven't, I started and also didn't finish. Um, and, um, so it's, I kind of want to read both at the same time. <laughs> like I need to get, both books and sit down and read them um, just because they, they still talk about each other as honorary sisters. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, there, there have been some really good memoirs. Um, oh, I mentioned how much I love the character cookie from empire and the actress Taraji P Henson, who plays her has a memoir that came out this year. I, I believe it was this year called around the way girl. So I haven't read it yet, but there's definitely one on my radar. I did not know that, but yeah, I'm going to have to look at that one too then. Yeah, I think it, it was fairly recent. Came uh, publicly publishing date was October of this okay. year. So um, yeah, keep an eye out for that. Uh, let me, let's see. So do you want me to talk about comics or should I let you go? Because I've had you here for like an hour. Um, oh gosh. Oh, I... It's been longer than an hour. <laughs> well, since the show, oh, yeah. since we've been recording. Um, been. <laughs> we talk a lot. We do. Um, yeah, let's, let's actually, let's talk about, because I'm, I'm very out of a lot of what's going on with comics. Um, there, there are some, I, I've actually read some uh, collections that people have recommended um, I have not read Bitch Planet yet, but that is so on my radar because everybody tells me to read it. Um, 
but there there were some other ones that I read that I quite liked. Um, but nothing's really grabbed me um, outside of. Uh, I mean, I think Greg Greg Rucka, the Wonder Woman, the Rebirth Wonder Woman. That yeah, ha- I haven't read that one. Um, that was coming out twice a month and was alternating between um, like a, a Wonder Woman story of today, which involves her trying to like figure out what her origin is because with the whole like DC constantly reboot stuff, um, she she's lost track of like what her own history is and she's trying to sort of piece that together alternating with a Wonder Woman year one story that is kind of her origin story. And, um, man, they were good. Um, they actually made me like Steve Trevor. Oh, wow. I did appreciate Nicholas Scott's quote about why, um, Wonder Woman did make a good UN ambassador and an honorary ambassador. And she was, uh, it was recently stopped. Yeah. And and people are like, oh, it was meant to be temporary. And it's like, well, it was meant to be temporary, but it was meant to be longer than it was. Right. But there was a petition to, um, and they where they specifically, the complainants about it specifically mentioned things like her big breasts and her outfit and things that they didn't think really met the feminist definition so i I really did like nicholas scott's um article yeah and about that and and i guess not shockingly um the other day i saw gail simone talking about it on twitter also and why she was disappointed yeah which were very similar reasons for um that uh nicholas scott gave um right so yeah, so um, so there was some Wonder Woman in the news, and I'm very much looking forward to the movie. So I will God, say I that. I really hope it doesn't suck. It looks yeah. so good. It looks so good. Like I mean, the trailer just was breathtaking. So I'm excited about it. Um, but yes, Bitch Planet you mentioned, and that's always something I when I read it, I get I get these emotions because there's there's no uh, like there's no comic relief in Bitch Planet. Like it's just not there um it's a very deep book it's a it's obviously going to be part of a like a bigger universe because it's its own planet and yet you know there's it's all run by the patriarchy so um the more recent issues introduced transgender characters and the very last issue that i read i can't remember that was eight or nine um they point out that the real president, the person who should have been president, was a black woman. So, um, and the, the and it's just a, it, they put in so much effort into each issue where there's the back. It, it's you're really getting a whole magazine. You're getting this comic book story, mm-hmm. and then you get pages and pages of you get letters from uh, the writer Kelly Sue DeConnick. Mm-hmm. You get. Um, letters from fans and the replies and then you get essays from you know people out in the world there's there's usually like essays that are two to three pages long and then they feature things like fan uh tattoos there's always a section about like tattoos or cosplay or something actually if you have a friend um here in kansas city who got a um bitch planet 
the, the symbol mm-hmm. tattooed on her wrist, but in the colors of the um, bisexual flag. Yeah, everybody, if you're, if, it's interesting because it's non-compliant, so you don't have to get the specifically just black letters. Like people get the non-compliant, the N-C outline, but they get them colored in all different ways. And it's like, and yes, that's the point of being non-compliant. Right. You know, is to express it the way that you want. And um, so the so each issue is really just filled with so much stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, as far as new books that I wanted, you know, and I thought you would be interested in. Um, I don't know if you know the character Faith from Valiant. Yes. It's kind of obscure. Um, I actually started reading, I I think um, IO9 had a a post about um, the Valiant universe and how interesting it was and went out of whoever, I don't remember who wrote the post, but um, went out of their way to mention what a great character Faith was. And so I went and started reading some of the collections um, and some of them are better than others, but, but Faith very clearly stood out to me. Well, Faith, I'm, I haven't been reading Renegades, which is the team book because I honestly, like, I just don't care. I read the Faith, um, you know, when I read the preview when Mm. it's specifically about her, I just really liked her. And it's for the exact same reasons that Supergirl works. I mean, she and the, the Supergirl from TV, I have so much in common and you know, the difference is faith is, you know, one of the first plus size characters There's so few of them, but she's like, you know, the first one to ever lead her own book. And, uh, yeah, I sort of feel like, um, I was even sort of thinking that if, if they cast rebel Wilson as Supergirl, you'd have faith. Right. Um, and I totally okay with that. And there was a an election day um, issue where she has to go to a you know a convention center where Hillary Clinton was giving a speech and um, and there's just this really tender moment of the two of them and it's you know it's about determining whether you've won or lost basically mm-hmm. and and it's kind of like this pep talk it was just I don't know it was just this really sweet moment because a lot of times they throw presidents and politicians in comics and it's like ah oh, whatever right actually so, that that um something you mentioned also about um who the real president was supposed to be um that was another i think really funny thing that uh the cw did um you know i think i'm sure you know that linda carter Yes. Um, was cast as the president in yeah. in Supergirl. And they even at one point there's a line where Supergirl says, How could they how could anybody be even voted for the other guy? Um but what's even funnier was during the invasion crossover in the prime in Earth One, in the, the Arrowverse Earth, um, we see the president in like the beginning of the first part in the flash and he's spoiler alert um very quickly and pretty casually killed off by the aliens and then there's mention of the acting president who we don't see until the end of 
the final part of Invasion, where it's an African-American woman. And I, I just kind of love that, like, oh, yeah, this white guy president, let's kill him off <laughs> and have him replaced with an African-American woman. Um, and it was just this – they didn't even make a big deal about it, and I was cracking up watching it. Like, what a hilarious and somewhat subversive move to make. Well, there are some comics that are very key about – uh, the roles of people of color and uh, as far as characters go mm-hmm. and um, Raven, the pirate princess is one of my favorite, all, you know, all ages type books. Okay. Um, I think it's all, I, they might not consider it all ages. I don't know if they, if it's like more like in, I think they call it E for everyone or something okay. where it's, um, you know, it's more like a YA book basically. Um, but that has a hugely diverse, female cast. Okay. Um, and of course I mentioned bitch planet and there's a relatively new series out called black. And, um, the reason I had started reading it was because of, uh, you know, like my longtime friend Jamal Eigel is the penciler artist okay. on it. And there's a huge team. Um, I'll make sure that I put the actual like whole team in the show notes and stuff because it's a huge team of people on it. Because he actually has somebody who does the shadows and somebody else who does the inks. And somebody, like I mean, it's it's mostly a grayscale comic, which um, is one of the reasons that makes it really different. Um, first of all, mm-hmm. visually for a comic, but it's the tagline is you know what if only black people had superpowers, and for this to come out the same time that Luke Cage. Right. premiered on Netflix, um, it's, it, you know, it just has this voice where there's finally a voice. And, uh, you know, and the, the, all the characters are still individuals and they're of different levels of learning their powers, too. So it's um, the the main character, Kareem, I believe. Um, I don't want to confuse it with Kahim from Empire. Um, <laughs> is they call them quarks. Like it's a, you know, sort of like in X-Men, they Mm -hmm. had different levels of mutation. So he has uh, like a a quark power, like they've never seen before. And the government of course wants people, but then there's this secret society of the people with superpowers that are trying to train each other, sort of like the X-Men, like they keep, you know, they want their own society to, um, make sure that everybody's using their powers responsibly and stuff. So it's very sort of X-Men-ish, right. but except that there's, it's not a capes and tights environment at all. Like this is Jamal's best artwork ever. It's, you know, people wearing real clothes, people with real bodies and um, the language is harsh. So, um you know, if you're used to Jamal's work on Supergirl, like this is, <laughs> this is not that. Um, the, uh, so that's three issues of Black are out now. Okay. And they also did a really nice thing where they included um, on the back page real charities to help, oh, you know, or to donate right. or whatever. You know, and the first one they mentioned was Planned Parenthood. And that was like, oh, my God, you guys, um, you know, so um Kwanzaa is the writer and Jamal is the artist. Okay. Like I said, it's a really big team of people. But that's from Black Mask Studios. And they are honestly like my 
uh, Publisher of the Year because there's two other books that I want to tell you about that I think you will love. One, the another one is called Four Kids Walk Into a Bank, and um, these D and D type, you know, nerdy adolescents get mixed up in a, sort of like in a heist, and it's because uh, the one kid's father has some sort of sketchy past that we don't really quite know about yet. Okay. But there's but he's they start spying on him and they see him having lunch with these neo-Nazis and like, oh, what is this about? So then they, they break into somebody's house and they find plans for a bank. And um, so I'm looking forward to seeing where this is going because it's really off the wall. But um, I just figured, you know, as far as like crime fiction goes, like having it with with kids where it's not um, – it's not like gross and gory, like um, uh, what was that? Kick ass, oh, you know, yeah. like we're hit girl. Like it's not like that, you know. But it's but the kids do have you know have a little smackdown in the very first. <laughs> um, and the second book, or I should say, third book from Black Mask Studios is called The Skeptics, and. Since you and I are both like the biggest fans of Psych, <laughs> um, the Skeptics is totally, totally, totally for you. Okay, it's alternate history during President Rockefeller's era of the Cold War. Um, it stars a woman of color named Mary and this uh, British white dude named Maxwell, who are fake psychics, and they are basically um, recruited because there's you know. The Russians have psychics, so um, you know. So this, even though Maxwell is British, he's in uh, U.S. college. So it's about that's. I mean, there's only like a couple issues out so far, so it's not too late to jump on. Okay. Or if you want to wait for the trades, I always, you know, I don't mind recommending waiting for the trades, so long as a book makes it to right. that point. Um, unfortunately, a lot of them get canceled before they even get a full story arc. But um, so the skeptics, four kids walk into a bank, black bitch planet, Raven the pirate princess, um, and oh yeah, I've mentioned Valiant Comics and Faith. Valiant also did cosplay cat variants this year. Yes, that's right, they did. And that was adorable. That was so great. Um, but yeah, I and then to get like really tragically serious there is a um a memoir type comic that i read online and you can buy it in print but it's um at markellison.com slash safe house okay and it's a combination um because this is a photographer and um i'm not sure what the other daniel lafrance's role if he was the writer or how it worked out but um they traveled to Africa and got real actual stories about girls during the cutting season, girls who were being forced to go um, undergo female genital mutilation and um, how there are these safe houses where if the girls are lucky, they get taken away. And a lot of times then they can never see their families again. Sometimes they come back if it's, you know, maybe, um, if they can convince the families that, you know, why this is bad, but um, sometimes the families can't be convinced and, 
you know, if they if they ever see their girls again, they'll try like re-kidnapping them or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, the whole title is called Safe House Voices from the Cutting Season. Uh, so it's not something that, you know, I don't think any comic book nerd outlet ever spoke about, right. but um, it did, you know, it did make some of the like newspapers right. to get talked about at least. So, and, so and since you mentioned like, Luke Cage, let me just cat not so casually at all drop that um, one of the writers on the show um, is the husband of a coworker of mine, and he's a local Kansas City playwright as well as writing for TV. Um, so there was a lot of hometown pride in Luke Cage, which is really funny that. Um, a lot of Kansas City pride in this show about Harlem. About Harlem. Yeah, I was, um, well, in the last episode I, where I was talking with um, Daniel Strickland, um, at one point, I don't even know if it was while we were recording or if it was just when we were having a conversation, but we were talking about how uh, he has a film career as a storyboard artist down in Louisiana, and you don't really think of it as like, you know, the place to go to make movies mm-hmm. or to make anything besides True Blood. Right. But um, <laughs> so uh, the Luke Cage and uh, the other Marvel Netflix shows actually are filmed, most, as far as I know, completely in New York City, mm-hmm. which to me I thought was kind of like a, like a dead zone. I didn't think anybody filmed there anymore. Right. But um, it's it's really great that they could film in real locations because it's, they make those neighborhoods so important. I mean, the hell's kitchen of daredevil is nothing like hell's kitchen today. Um, There's a a documentary series called the Irish mob on Netflix. And if you want to see like what hell's kitchen was really like, go watch that. (laughs) Um, Before it was gentrified. Yeah. Before it was gentrified. Yeah. I think I've read that um, the, the, official Marvel Cinematic Universe um, rationale for why um, Hell's Kitchen is the way it is is because of the Avengers. That because of the, the Chitauri invasion, um, <laughs> it caused like some sort of economic thing, and that's why Hell's Kitchen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is like pre-gentrified Hell's Kitchen uh. in, our, in our real world. I see, I see. But yeah, you can definitely, it, it can be really obvious um, when you're watching a show that's set in New York, but it's not actually filmed in New York. Yeah, because watching something like Luke Cage is totally different than watching White Collar. Mm-hmm. Like, also set in New York. Like White Collar, they had, I believe, one episode where it rained. Um, and it was always uh, the financial district. Or the or museums like it was always there was no graffiti anywhere. Right. It was the cleanest city you had ever seen, and I, and I remember tweeting one time like, "Where the hell is White Collar set?" Um, because I just couldn't believe that it was New York. I'm like, this. Is, I'm like, this is not. This is not any New York I've been to. Yeah, Elementary is such a New yeah. York show. Yeah. Um, exactly. And you can like when it's winter, it's actually winter. Yeah. And it looks like cold, slushy New York, um, not like a back lot in L.A. with fake snow coming down. 
um, or where everybody's just kind of wearing like a mild overcoat. Um, yeah, whereas- like I want, you know, like on, on Castle, we, you know, I know you and I have, have mentioned before about right. how um, Kate Beckett always looked like a perfect supermodel, like right. no matter what. It's like you'd be, you know, it would be more like 30 Rock where you'd be in a scarf and a hat, you, you know, your makeup's being washed off by the rain or the snow and you're getting splashed on by the cabs going by. Right. Completely ruining your outfit. Yeah. You're not, you know, you wouldn't, you're not you wouldn't really look like Kate Beckett. You would look like Joan Watson on Elementary, where Lucy Liu is frequently not done up, um, and especially like in the winter episodes, she's. I actually noticed she wore pants twice, like in a row. Right. Because for a while there, they they had her outfits like she obviously wears like immaculate designer outfits, but I, I actually did notice. I was like. It was one of those things where I'm like, oh, my God, they have her in pants. <laughs> yeah. So uh, is there – so that's my comics and books. Okay. And, I, will, I will look out for those yeah. then. So I don't know. So is there anything that we missed? Um, I mean, we did have – like, we did want to talk about good news yeah. in order to actually wrap up the year. Um, so, you know, my personal good news was that my two books were out, but then there was actual like good news, you know, in the world that, you know, um, at least I tended to notice things like the queer communities news, like in Oregon, that a 52 year old retired army tank mechanic was allowed to change gender identity and not from male to female or vice versa, but to a new third gender. And that's, um, now a legal non-binary declaration. Yeah, that, and that's it, very cool. Also, um, in in gender issues, that um, and, and I'll, I'll I'll rep Kansas City again. Um, there's a there's a, a trans, young transgender girl, Avery Jackson, um, who um, has an amazing. She's on the cover of the latest National Geographic, um, which has an article about. Um, gender and the science of gender um, for all those people who say there's no such thing as like transgender um, right. you don't know the science of it and in fact um, and Avery's story is um, just really amazing in that um, even at a young age um, she was so um, feeling like you know, she was could 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 tell that she was misgendered, um, and felt so um, not connected to that. That um, I mean, even even at a young age, would was like considering like, what if I opened the door and threw myself out of the car to kill myself? And her parents had no experience with this at all, and have just be, come to be incredibly supportive. And they speak out about it, and Avery speaks out about it, and uh, it's um, it, it's really really great. It's it, it's interesting because I I looked at the cover and um, I didn't really think you know much of it other than I you know why I don't want to say that they're exploiting children, but because it's a necessary thing that people think oh children don't have thoughts about 
about gender that they don't have sexual thought right. either, which is a whole different conversation. Right. But um, one of the trans women that I follow um, said that the pose was, I guess, suggestive. And hmm. it wasn't something that I thought about. And they're like, you know, she's like, hey, you know, thank you for for doing this. But just to be aware, maybe mm-hmm. you should have had had a few a little bit more input so it's you know sometimes they try and sometimes they really really like miss the mark completely and and, you know i think um since you and i are the same age um i mean when we were growing up there was no i mean i didn't know anybody who talked about being misgendered there was i mean there, no, they were, were called transvestites. There were transvestites, and there were, you know, some transsexuals. Yeah, um, that was even in Rocky Horror. Right. Was, that were. But, but a lot of times transvestite and transsexual were used interchangeably, even though they're not necessarily the same thing. Um, and just even talking about gender wasn't. Um, I mean, it was it was much more simplified than we talk about it now. And so um, I will, you know, totally cop to the fact that there's still a big learning curve for a lot of people. Um, And we're going to make mistakes. And I think the the best thing that we can do is just, you know, apologize, learn from it, (laughs) figure, figure out what you did wrong. Don't ask the people, don't ask the people who are, on the oppressed side, hey, what did I do wrong here? Please explain it to me. Um, do your own homework um, and and learn from it and try to do better. And I, yeah, I think that um, I think that's what got Tilda Swinton into a lot of hot water this week was or last week was again she that she went to somebody. Uh, yeah, she went to I, Margaret, I, Margaret Cho and said, "I don't understand what I did wrong." And it's like you could have asked any like nerd, right? And, you know, well, one, she could have asked any nerd. Two, she could have asked like Ming Na Wen or Chloe Bennett, who actually are Asian actresses in the Marvel universe. Um, yeah. But but the other thing that I uh, made a comment on a Facebook post today was, "Oh, the irony of saying, well, we didn't want to. They didn't want to cast an Asian woman." Um, as the ancient one, because they were afraid of stereotypes of like a, a white man coming to an Asian woman for advice. But now, a white, let me, a white woman, come to you, an Asian woman, for advice. For advice, yeah. Um, ow, the irony! It hurts. Um, yeah, I, I have. Some- I do understand the catch twenty two that Marvel had. I'm not going to apologize for their casting and their changing of the role, but I do understand that they said the original version was more of that, you know, it's the magical Asian trope, right. you know, who has to, you know, like uh, people are talking about with Iron Fist, same thing, right. you know, and even with Elektra, um, you know, same thing. Like she goes off and learns martial arts and yeah. Um, uh, yeah, let's, let's, black canary, the, white canary, the ninjas, whatever else. The ninjas on Daredevil aren't just ninjas. They're magical ninjas. Yeah, like, I mean, they do the same thing with, you know, with the original Black Canary character on Arrow. Right. Like, she went off to Tibet and learned these, you know, learned martial arts stuff and became part of the Assassins. And um, I mean, I don't know if they call it Tibet, but it's supposed to be. Right. It's, it's, you know, let's face it. Um, so, yeah, so and, that was... And I'll also I admit that, that 
watching Tilda Swinton kick ass in Doctor Strange was awesome. So, you know, I I loved it, but I also would have loved to see Michelle Yeoh kicking ass as the Ancient One. Uh, yeah, see, I have all I've seen are the trailers and publicity shots, and and the complaint to me that resonates is people saying, "Well, if you're trying to not be Asian, why did you still have it so Asian? Like they, the room looks like a dojo and stuff like that. You know, it yeah. it comes across with like, oh, you want to just take the set dressing of one type of Asian and use it, sort of, you know." Right. So I understand. I, so I do and understand I, that. And I do sort of feel like they could have said, um, you know, well, we don't want to go with this Asian stereotype, so let's have, um, you know, an older white woman play the ancient one. And hey, you know, instead of having Baron Mordo be this white Eastern European, let's get um, an uh, Afro-British actor to play him. They could have gone, hey, well, you know what? In that case. Maybe we sh- since we're we're breaking that character isn't going to be white. Maybe we should go back and rethink that whole. Let's not have an Asian as the ancient one. Um, yeah, it's I don't know. So I mean, I don't you. So if you saw the movie, then did they actually do anything Celtic in the movie? No. Like, no. no. So there was it just, was it, it was just a reason to cast her. Yes. Is, I mean yeah. the the whole he goes. I mean it's. He he goes to Kathmandu, um, and the the place that they train is very Asian. Um, and in fact, there's even they do a visual gag where when Stephen Strange first walks in, he sees this old Asian guy with a like long white beard, and assumes that that's the ancient one, and starts talking to him. And then the guy looks confused at him, pan over, and there's Tilda Swinton who says, I'm the ancient one. Um, yeah, they they didn't really... It was a white person with all the Asian trappings. I will say that Tilda Swinton was really good in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the... I can like her in the role. I can think she's great in the movie, and I can still think it's problematic. Um, sure, absolutely. And and uh, and that's the you know the whole thing of like you know do better. You know, like okay, hopefully you've learned a lesson. Right. Do better. Well, um, and that's the like, and like you said, like I appreciate the the situation that they kind of they made a box themselves into. Um, and while I appreciate Tilda Swinton wanting to understand better why people were upset about it. Um, Just if you read the emails, like Margaret Cho starts with, oh my God, I'm a huge fan of yours and have been for years. I think you're amazing. And then later, Tilda Swinton makes a point of saying, you know, I've always tried to go for these challenging roles and I'm you know, I'm really big on diversity. Look, Margaret Cho came out of the gate saying she thinks you're amazing. You don't have to point out what a good person you are. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not what's relevant. What's relevant is what we, we do about it. Uh, at, at least, I mean, and the point was sort of like a, hey, look at me and validate me thing was right. she's she's been working and trying to produce something that actually does star Asian right. people. 
Um, and that's and I, great. I think that's what she wanted out there. Yeah. I think that's probably what her publicist wanted out there right. was, hey, by the way, she is, you know, working on something. But, I, I would – if this is something that I've been sort of thinking about a lot and something I'm working on personally, I'm not – like, again, not saying I'm perfect. I fuck up all the time. Um, but for me personally, and I would like to see my fellow white people, stop asking people of color for forgiveness. Like, hey, I'm really good. Sorry that I did this racist thing. Can you forgive me? Stop. Just do better. Um, people of color aren't here to absolve you. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not here to educate you. They're fucking trying to live. And they don't care about your one black friend. Right. Whatever. Exactly. <laughs> they don't care that you have great intentions. Um, what they care is, like, just... How, how they're treated and what you're doing to make things better. Uh, I want to point out one that I saw today, um, if I may, since we did mention a little bit of election talk, um, that there was a, a I think, it, I don't know if it's a newspaper or TV station, what the heck it is, but it's uh, Como News on Twitter. And um, they talked, uh, they, they put out a tweet saying, you know, Washington Electoral College presidential results, eight votes Hillary Clinton, three votes Colin Powell, one for Faith Spotted Eagle. But they put Faith Spotted Eagle in quotes as if it's like a fake name, like Mickey Mouse. Right. And um, so promptly they were trumped upon by people saying, that's a name. Right. Like, first of all, Faith is, is a name. Like there's... And and Spotted Eagle, it's like fine. She's a Native American. That's her her family name. But I mean, if you think about how last names can be, I mean, we have names like white, black. Um, you know, farmer is a right. last name. I mean, you know, savage is a last right. name. So the fact that her name is Faith Spotted Eagle, it was like they and they apologized. But um, you know, it's Twitter. And I guess they weren't going to put too much effort into it, but they actually did apologize for the quotes and said it was an error. Um, it's like, no, no, that's, you know, and, you made her sound right. like a cartoon. And, and, <laughs> if, and, and if you do something like that, um, yeah, don't, don't tell us, hey, most of the time we're really good. Just apologize. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's and all it was. Better. I mean, yeah. it was just a, it was just a super quick apology they didn't say it was um, it was a typo. They just said it was done in error. Mm-hmm. Which thanks, you know, thanks for really, not passing it off as a typo because that's such a tired. Yeah, or saying like, "Oh, I'm sorry, we were hacked and someone else wrote it." Right. Now, <laughs> yeah, don't pass the buck. Don't mm-hmm. you know? Own up to your mistake, and yeah. Um, and with the the Dakota pipeline, that the that that's been a you know a primary news and um, of the year, so I think people have become a bit more aware of our native community than that, that they were probably quite forgotten. As usual, yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. I I think that that that's sort of my big takeaway from the um, Tilda Swinton Margaret Cho exchange is um, white people need to stop looking for forgiveness for their privilege and said, do something, just shut up and do something with it. 
I am guilty of asking people oh, I totally like, how how to like well how do you want the situation handled right you know um, I actually once made a j- I was joking about myself once I think on Facebook I posted like in quotes oh yeah I I have a lot of neat girlfriends and I really love jazz me in the 1930s probably um, because I'm totally like I, having grown up in um, you know, a, a progressive family. I'm totally guilty of being Mr. White liberal. Um, and, you know, looking for I, forgiveness I, from people. Right. <laughs> for and like you said, though, about, about doing the homework, um, there was, it, it was, I still have not seen Fantastic Beasts as of this recording. I'm hoping to see it over the holidays. Um, I understand that, you know, there's a lot of calling for the boycott because of how J.K. Rowling basically knows nothing about Native American history Mm -hmm. and the fact that she tried to pass it off more as like fictional mythology and lore as opposed to actual faith systems. Right. Um, But I I wanted to interview somebody, you know, so I was looking at a few of the people that I saw talking about it and, and saying, you know, why they were so furious. And I, I couldn't get anybody to write back. And I was just like, okay, I realize I'm like, you know, white girl over here, but I want to give you, mm-hmm. you know, my platform to help explain this. Right. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I didn't know what to do at that point. I felt kind of, I felt defeated in my own way. Mm-hmm. Like, like, well, if people aren't going to talk to me, then what am I supposed to do? <laughs> That's actually I, uh, another good example of um, a, a story where I both love it and am bothered by the problematic aspects. Um, although the movie actually doesn't really touch on um, the American School of Magic very much and doesn't mention the names of the houses at all. Um, but if you know the backstory, you know that J.K. Rowling, uh, as much as I love her, she totally, she rolled a botch on on this one um, and did not do her homework and did not really take into consideration um, what she was sort of trampling, what she was trampling on. Um, but at the same time, I love Fantastic Beasts because, and I read a really great article about this, um, that I hadn't, it hadn't consciously hit me as to why I loved it, um, but it it really is um, a lash against toxic masculinity. Um, that the main character Newt um, Scamander is um, he's not aggressive. He's um, not macho at all. Um, he's pro understanding. He's pro, um, you know, um, empathy and sweetness. And um, he's like, it's so rare for um, a male hero to be like that. Um, and it's one of the problems that I had growing up because I'm not super macho. <laughs> um, and and uh, 
I didn't, but, but I mean, in terms of representation matters, as much as I'm, you know, white guy, there aren't that many white male characters that I identified with and saw as like role models growing up. Um, especially not in movies and TV, like maybe Luke Skywalker. Cause he's not super macho. Um, except he's also super whiny. <laughs> so yeah. nobody really wants to be Luke. Um, and it, I don't think it was really until high school or college that I started to see some characters, um, like, uh, Johnny Galecki's character, David on Roseanne, um, Chandler on Friends, um, uh, Xander on Buffy, um, where you start seeing characters who are maybe more in touch with their feminine side, um, who are Oz was a good one from Buffy, too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Seth Green had his nails painted for, you know. Oh, um, yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, well, and Giles, too, is not, um, Although he's he's more of the it's the joke of no he's not gay he's British um, he he's more yeah. just the stuffy British masculinity yeah. rather than the toxic um, macho American masculinity um, but yeah still um, you know so it it for me it's really good, nice to see a movie that has um, that the of the four main characters who are like the core good guys that make the team of good guys. Um, they're all sensitive and sweet and um, not aggressive. Um, and and uh, are more into like thinking and caring before uh, fighting. Um, and so in that sense, it was really great to see. Um, while at the same time, there were also some very problematic. Well, that's that's actually one of the good things about the um, Marvel Cinema version of the Hulk. I mean, I'm not well versed in the comic versions, but um, Mark Ruffalo's Bruce Banner, or is he? Yeah, yeah. it's Bruce Banner. Um, is this just sweetheart, shy? just wants to do his science thing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and and he knows that he has to control himself, otherwise right. the Hulk comes out, where it, it's sort of, it, like, it is that metaphor right. of, uh, of every man is capable of this at some point. There's actually know? a really funny, um, in the 70s TV show, The Hulk, um, Bill Bixby's character was David Banner. David Banner. That's why I always have to think about and, it. Yeah. And I, years ago, I remember seeing an interview with Stan Lee talking about the show and that the reason why the character was changed to David Banner was the network thought that Bruce sounded too homosexual of a name. <laughs> and it's clear in the interview, and this was like... This is the 70s. This was, this was like the interview Bruce that I Lee. saw had to have been like at least like 15 years ago. Even then, Stan Lee was like clearly thought it was ridiculous. But yeah, but at the, the same time, Bruce, the network thought Bruce sounds, sounded gay, which is I think of Bruce Lee and Bruce Wayne. Right, like I, like it's just such a weird. I don't know what. 
I mean, and even if it was, so what? I mean, that's like, I remember in the 70s, like, that's when you started seeing more gay characters anyway. And even then, it was like pretty horribly, you know, stereotyped. And, but still, I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things of how did we get, how did we get there and how did we get to here? And, People are weird. <laughs> People are weird. And we're going to, and I, I, I absolutely agree with you that we're all going to make mistakes and, um, you know, you can apologize and try not to make excuses for yourself right. and just do it. Like I made a mistake and it, it really was like a, a, a type of situation where Twitter doesn't have italics or underlines or anything. Mm-hmm. So I put a pronoun in caps and quotes similar to this, you know, faith spotted eagle you know, right. problem that a news agency put out today. And so one of the trans women that I follow, like she wrote back to me right away and she's like, why is that in quotes? I'm like, for emphasis. And she's like, oh, okay. That's not how I read that. Right. And I was like, oh, okay. And I tried to figure out what, you know, pay attention to what people were doing. And it was like, you know, Twitter, you've got a character limit. But ne- so I noticed people put either the asterisks or they put um, underscore, and then the word and then underscore as if it were being underlined somehow. Okay. Um, I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I didn't know. I was just trying to, <laughs> I was trying to do the right thing and fucked it up. Right. And so you apologize and you, yeah, I um, actually have a, um, a friend of mine is genderqueer and I, I misgendered them while trying to actually promote something that they were like some, a really cool LGBTQ thing that they were doing and linked to it and misgendered them and they very nicely quietly pointed out by the way this is the these are the pronouns i prefer and i said oh i'm so sorry deleted it rewrote it mm-hmm. um and and uh yeah i mean god i when it when you when you're raised in the mate, I mean, this is why I hate the whole "not all men" thing. Um, is because I, all men grew up in the Matrix, and even when you figure out that the Matrix is just pro, it's not real; it's simulated reality. It's really hard to always get out of the programming. So you're you're gonna say or do something sexist. Um, if you're white, you're gonna say or do something racist. You just are. Um, and so you learn from that, you apologize and you try to do better. Um, and then that's the, that's the best we can do. I mean, keep improving. Right. I mean, I think that when you grow up in, 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 in privilege and you're not used to being called out (laughs) on your bullshit, Mm -hmm. um, it, do, it it can be really uncomfortable, but that's not – when somebody calls you on it, that's not the end of the conversation. That's the beginning. And Yes, that's a great way to look and, at it. And, uh, you know, I, I am not good with criticism. I get um, really upset when I've been – like when someone points out that I've – made a mistake, I get really upset, I get really uncomfortable, um, so I totally get being defensive. 
Uh, oh my, uh, me too. I feel like the world is ending. Like, you know, if it's a friend. I've never had, you know, my finger on a nuclear button or anything, and yet a small office mistake or something, right. I feel like the world's ending because oh, I okay. screwed up. Um, there are a couple of times in, in one year, like I think in one six-month period, um, where uh, I made a joke. What I, what I meant, again, with the best of intentions, um, I made what I intended to be a joke to a woman friend on Twitter, and it did not come off as a joke. It came off as a really crude and sexist thing to say. And as soon as someone pointed out, I felt horrible. Like, not just... Um, and not just like I feel bad for them that I did this. I felt horrible for me that like I'd let them down. I'm a terrible person. Um, you know, I mean, all the stuff that you go through. And I, I may, I, in one instance, I, I very specifically remember not getting defensive. In the other one, I did um, at first. And then finally kind of gave up. I think I finally just said, and it wasn't even my friend who was who was yelling at me. It was someone else who was calling me out on it and even said, you know, well, your apology means nothing. And I said, well, then, okay, I'll just drop it. And what that meant to me was to, I need to step back and like really think about this. Um, And, you know, what am I doing here? What am I, maybe I need to think a little more before I just like fire a tweet off. And I've gotten much more careful now. A lot of times I'll see someone tweet something and the thought will like pop into my head, um, and I will manage to override my ADHD ENFP tendencies to just like say whatever's on my mind and backspace and not tweet it. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it's because I, it struck me that you know this could really be read the wrong way. Sometimes it's um, like I'll see um, a woman of color tweet something about you know about sexism or racism or sexism and racism. And what I really, all that I really want to say is right on, I'm with you on this. And I'll stop and go, you know what? They don't fucking care. <laughs> like what, what is the only reason for me to do that is it is kind of, I mean, in my head, what I'm doing is I want them to know that they're not alone, but what it can really come off sounding like is please give me a cookie for being a good ally. Yeah, I mean, sometimes the retweet isn't is enough, and then right. um, you know, in, instead of at mentioning them, you know, po- make your own post. Right. <laughs> um, I I don't always have to say something. As a white male, I've been taught my voice is really important, and in my family, like my, I come from a family of very opinionated, like you know, uh, uh, an exon of mine and I used to joke that if my family had a motto, it would be, um, you're wrong and I'll tell you why. And that's <laughs> everybody in my family. And so I get like that double thing of, well, my opinion's very important. I need to say something. And I'm really working on, you know what? My opinion is not always very important. And this person that I don't even know on Twitter, they're not going to care. Why should they care? So I'm just like, not going to say anything. Um, and, you know, Lord knows I'm not anywhere close to being 100% good with that. Um, 
And, and with the, like I realized with the sexist tweets that a problem with being a man with a lot of woman friends is, as one friend of mine once said, um, Josh is bilingual. He speaks girl talk, um, Uh which is fine when you're hanging out with a bunch of women that you know, um, and like the talk turns to vibrators or periods or whatever. And I can like, Hey, I get that. You know, like suddenly I'm, I'm, uh, Captain America. I get that reference. Um, (laughs) so, but it's very different when it's Twitter. Um, and people who don't know you are seeing you like make a menstruation joke and go, dude, no. And it's like, oh, you know what? You're right. <laughs> that was totally inappropriate for me to say. Um, yeah, and that's when it's different. When you can go to Facebook and change it to just your friends as right. opposed to Twitter where you can't right. do that. Um, and even like realizing that in in text is different than in person. Right. Um, and, you know, it's one thing like when I was recently at a Friendsgiving and I was the only guy there and we're all making vibrator jokes. Um and and making jokes about stud finders. Um <laughs> and and that's different than if it's on Twitter or Facebook. Um even for, it might even be different for the people involved, you know? Um just because the context is different and the there are the verbal and physical cues aren't there. Um and and you know, I think that that's I don't I haven't always thought about the context. And I'm really trying to think more about the context. Um, how did we get into like? Oh my god! Like we're talking about how did we? Like, how did we get so deep? Of, the great stuff of like this year, and let's be positive. And now it's just become um, like how is Josh learning to be a, be a better human being? But that's that is that is <laughs> I think that is how we wanted to we wanted to end it by um, you know we're talking about fuck-ups and ways to improve and, and um, wow did america fuck up <laughs> wow america totally fucked up uh, so um and and in particular white people super fucked up white well yeah because if you look at the demographics of who voted oh yeah whom, oh yeah white women um, we i don't know where the fuck the rest of you were but jesus what did you do yeah because i i know what i did um, um white people really fucked up this year. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and I guess to look at it positively, um, we're still, we're still, I'm still in the fight. I'm still here to fight against, um, to fight for, and these are all things that I got from my family and all things that I got from reading comics growing up. Um, and from Star Wars and Star Trek and all this stuff that like conservative people freak out, like was suddenly getting political it was always fucking political. Yeah, exactly. And everything it is, was. you know, politics is like everything in society. It's going to be part of art. Yeah. Um, and and these are the values that I got growing up from, you know, that this is what my heroes always stood for. This is what Superman stood for. This is what Wonder Woman stood for. This is what the Doctor and Captain Kirk and, you know, this is Jedi principles um, is, you know, we're still fighting against oppression and bigotry and um, 
And I think that's just a realistic um, human quality that there always will be. Uh, unfortunate, but true. I don't think it's going to... I think even in, in Star Trek, where they tried to come off as a, a very egalitarian society... They, you know, they still quite weren't, oh, and yeah. they would, and they, they would, they would obviously like always run into other alien races. The original series even addresses, like, yeah, they'll, they'll have that a, black and white one, right? Where the, well, and the, there's a the first the first time they meet the Romulans. Um, there's a there's a really really good episode in the first season where the Romulans are introduced, and like no one's ever actually seen a Romulan before and they're they're able to tap into the Romulan ship and, and look at their view screen and they look just like Spock and one of the bridge crew members is making super snide comments about how do we know that Mr. Spock isn't a traitor? Uh, how do we know? And it okay. like it showed like even in Gene Roddenberry's vision of like the egalitarian um future where everyone's treated the same there's still racism. Yeah. Sometimes. But that was the one that I always think about is where the, you know, one guy is painted down the left side right, black, yeah. painted on the other side is white, and then there's a guy who's reversed. And, you know, and they're both trying to argue with each other about which one of them is the right way. Right. You know? right. Um, yeah. So, well, Roddenberry was, you know, brilliant for many reasons. Yes. So. Although also had some pretty weird... <laughs> Very Some weird. problematic stuff when it came to like women and sex. Um, yeah, I was gonna say not so great with the female roles with the, but you know, but at least you know Uhura was on the. Deck. Although, yeah, there's oh man, the episode with Khan when he slaps he slaps Uhura and Michelle Nichols looks at him like motherfucker, try that again. Yeah, <laughs> it, one of my favorite moments. Like just an amazing like man. Um, First interracial kiss. Yeah. Um, yeah. It. It. You're right. It, it's always. There's always going to be the struggle. There's always going to be. We're always going to slide back, and we're always going to. I mean that. I think that's one of the things in Star Wars that's. It can sometimes seem like it's kind of depressing, like if you watch the original trilogy and then you watch The Force Awakens and see that like, oh look, there's a fascist government again. And it's like, oh, that's so depressing. But you know what? That's what life is. Mm -hmm. We're constantly fighting against those totalitarian, bigoted, patriarchal impulses. Um, and well, that's why I, you know, I appreciate that you understand, you know, comfort escapism and, and our needs for comfort fantasy. Like, um, you know, like Supergirl or Grace and Frankie or, you know, whatever your choice thing is, leverage, awesome. Um, you know, because you can't, you can't have the anger going 24-7. Right. Like, you just can't. Um, maybe, I don't know. Maybe some people can, but they're probably not particularly healthy. I know it, I... It burns me out. I, I know I have, like, zero threshold at this point. Mm -hmm. Like... Um, which is really obvious to anyone who knows me in any capacity. Right. But um, yeah, I almost like I get on got on Twitter today, looked at a few headlines, and went, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah, I I wasn't even gonna look today because I'm like, why? I know what's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. I'm like, forget. I was trying to be hopeful, and I'm like, fuck it. Um, 
but anyway, so so this has been a an odd year. We survived. <laughs> we survived the legendary 2016 of doom. Right. Um. Let's see how many more people it can kill by the end of the year. It's I'm sure that got its own plans. Um. But. I'm you telling know. you, David Bowie was holding this universe together. Yeah. Uh, I like to think it was my cat. That too, yes. Yeah, that was my cat. But my my new cat Gus did come up and he's sleeping next to me, so Aww. he um he's letting me know that it's bedtime. <laughs> and wrap it um, up, girl. Yeah. So my little shiny boy wishes your shiny little boy, um, a happy Joshmas. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, and if you guys didn't know, yes, we celebrate Joshmas. Yes. But what you would call the day before Christmas, um, I call Joshmas. Although, this actually, this year, um, Hanukkah starts on the night of the 24th. Okay. And so I thought, oh, you know, finally this year, I could say it's Joshika, and I get eight nights. And then I thought, do I really want to stretch this year out? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Let's just I'm going back to Joshmas. It's just I'll celebrate my birthday, get it over with. Let's get this year over with. Not necessarily that next year's gonna be any better. Um but it it will be less surprising because we already know what's coming. Because we already know. Yeah. yeah. We um. we at this point we know that like we're gonna get at least like four years of crazy ass horrible shit. Or is yeah. this year kind of blindsided us? So, um, so we do get political on our on our tweets, and yes. um, if you want to follow me, it's at Elizabeth Amber and Josh. I'm at Joshua M. Neff. Joshua M. Neff. So um, we we do talk about other things like cats and books. So you know, and, and so jokes. We make jokes and and jokes, and you will see things like leverage. You know, jokes. <laughs> yes. And psych, you know. There was one day last week where I think pretty much everything, every time I replied to a tweet, it was with a GIF from something. Uh, Yeah. And I was actually, the other day, I I tweeted that I was running late for work because I was spending the morning um, looking for uh, friends and leverage GIFs. And uh, I've done that. I've spent like, you know, well, because I, I, I don't like the holidays much, but... Um, I, I wrote a Thanksgiving post using, um, like, all grace and right, yes. <laughs> That was great. Uh, I will also, I will make a plug for my yes. my two blogs uh, yes. because I, I'm really going to try, starting January 1st, 2017, to blog something every day, even if it's something small, Um but something that I'm working on, something that I'm excited about. Um, so my older uh, prose and poetry literature blog is uh, goblin-cartoons.com. And then my newer blog that's about more personal uh, mental health um, and other sort of non-fictional uh, stuff is mercurial-comics.com. Okay. And if I had comic book companies, that's what I would, they would be 
or maybe my comic book company would be Mercurial Comics, and then the animation wing would be Goblin <laughs> Cartoons. In an alternate yeah. universe, that's what... Because that's what I wanted when I was a kid. My dream was to grow up and do comic books and animated cartoons, um, although they were all like... In my head, it was all 1930s. <laughs> like, all the animated <laughs> cartoons I wanted to do involved, like, street trolleys and, like, hobos. Um, and my comics were all sort of uh, golden age superheroes. So, Well, then maybe, maybe the new year will bring you that, you know, that comic script that is somewhere inside you. And you'll get that out. And even if it never gets drawn, I have scripts that have never been drawn. It's okay. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's a story and it's yes. a different way to tell a story. So, um, you guys can support my efforts of things like storytelling and this show at patreon.com slash Amber Unmasked and all of the show notes. And if you want to, you know, get more details about the things that we talked about today, that'll be there at amberunmasked.com. So, uh, once again, happy Josh Smith. Thank you. And happy holidays to you. Thank you. Happy solstice. Thank you.